This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. Now, some of the most cancelled people in the UK by the mainstream media are those impacted by damage or death from the COVID-19 vaccine. But not on this show. While the MSM doggedly continues to ignore the topic, I spoke to brave Conservative MP Sir Christopher Choke recently, who's fighting for the government to guarantee proper support for victims of serious COVID jab side effects. Well, questions I ask, they seem to be tremendous resistance from the government to recognise that there will be the need to compensate people who have done the right thing but have suffered as a result. Now, the Department of Health stands by the fact that its benefits far outweigh any risk for most people, but some people, like my next guest, know all too well about the devastation of what they believe to be vaccine damage. Glasgow scaffolder Alex Mitchell had his first AstraZeneca jab on the 20th of March 2021 and around 12 days later experienced a sore arm, tiredness and sore calves. The pain continued and on the 4th of April he collapsed at home. Alex was taken to hospital where a CT scan confirmed multiple blood clots in his lower abdomen and in both legs. He was rushed into theatre where surgeons removed them, but sadly amputation was the only option and he lost one of his legs. A tradesman losing a limb has turned his whole life upside down, but despicably he still hasn't received compensation for what he's been through. And Alex Mitchell joins me now. Alex, look, it's incredibly important we talk about vaccine damage. You are one of those people impacted, and obviously it's changed your whole life. Talk to me about what you've been through this past year. Um, if I'm being honest, it's everything you can imagine. It could be, and more. It's the most horrific thing you could ever experience. You, one minute you're healthy, fit, hard-working human being, and within 12 hours, your life has disappeared. Everything in your world has changed. Nothing is the same anymore. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done, and it's not getting any easier, to be honest with you, Dan. We can't get any better because we can't get help. You know, it's horrific. I know. I, I, I can only imagine how difficult it is. So there's so much to unpick about what is going on, Alex. And I guess the first thing to talk about is the fact that you still haven't been compensated for what you've gone through. No. The, no one has been compensated, Dan. There was, I, I quoted 920 claims to the vaccine damage payment scheme on the 28th of February. That number is now 1,200, over 1,200 claims. This is nearly 50 people a week that's registered as 50 to 60% disabled or more making a claim. What about all the ones that can't make the claim because they're not 60% disabled? They've not helped any one family in two years. Now, there's people lost their lives. I can claim, I can know 78 VIT families have lost a loved one. 
They're death certificates, lots of them have now got death certificates saying it's only caused by an AstraZeneca vaccine. Mm. And they're still not paying these people out. Now, I'm going to update you. I received a letter today at quarter to six. Oh, really? From the vaccine damage payment mm -hmm. saying that they've received all my medical records. They won't need any more. They're now setting up a team of medical assessors because they've just issued a contract. But they can't, they're not in place yet. They can't give us a timescale of when it's in place. But when it's in place, it could take a further three months. Now, the contract is a five-year contract with a two-year extension. Does that mean we've got another seven and a half years to wait? Well, indeed. And, I mean, Alex, obviously losing your leg is devastating, but you lost your business as well. You I lost, lost everything. Yeah. I lost my passion. That scooter that you see me on, that my beloved scooter, I lost that as a soldier because I didn't think I could go there again. No. And then two days later, I regretted it oh. and I bought another one. <laughs> so in a couple of weeks' time, I'll get my new old 1970s Vespa GTR back. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to it. It's one of the few pleasures that's left at the moment, shall we say. Indeed. And look, you've got to try and hang on to those things, Alex, but my heart breaks for you. And I just wonder how angry you feel at the complete lack of interest in stories like yours from the vast majority of the mainstream media in this country, but also, Alex, from the political class in this country. I'm not sure if you're aware of the clip, but when Sir Christopher Chope, who has spoken about his vaccine damages bill on this show, when he raised it in Parliament, he was shut down by the Speaker of the House as if he was some sort of naughty schoolboy. I can only imagine that you feel ignored and overlooked. I, I think this is the biggest problem that we're facing. We can't deal with getting our health back, trying to get fitness to move forward because we're being ignored, denied. And that trauma, that's really adding to some of the grief. We've lost three people to suicide recently over the last oh, few God. months. We couldn't take any more because oh. they've been gaslighted by their doctors, by politicians. And I'll be honest with you, Dan, I'll be damned if I'm going to allow any more. In fact, I'll do whatever I can. We can't, we can't lose any more people. This has to stop. So what's your plan, Alex? What's your plan? You obviously want to raise awareness, quite rightly, and we're behind you with that. It's to raise awareness of the fact that it's every step that's blocking people from getting help. You know, if we take it from the medical doctors, these people took an oath of doing no harm and informed consent. And that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. You know, this, the, we know that the figures are out there. Everyone can see them. Nobody's making these up anymore. You know, we've, we've not been plucking figures out of there. These are figures, the official government figures we're quoting. And it's as if, I don't know what's happened. When did, when did we stop caring about people's lives? Well, I you think, know, Alex, because people aren't hearing from folk like you. So so we've obviously heard from people who lost relatives to COVID, but we're not hearing from people who lost relatives 
from the vaccine, apart from on Mark Stein's show and, of course, uh, on GB News too. But look, Alex Mitchell, so powerful, such an incredible story. We will stay in touch with you uh, as you go on and, and fight quite rightly for compensation after losing your leg as a result of the AstraZeneca jab. Now, we have reached out to AstraZeneca and surprise, surprise, just like Mark Stein, we've received no comment. But Lindsay Sutherland, Interim General Manager for Lanarkshire's vaccination programme, says, we are sorry to hear of the medical problems that Mr Mitchell has had, but unfortunately we are unable to comment on individual patients due to confidentiality. As per the advice issued by the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, the coronavirus vaccine can prevent people from getting seriously ill or dying from coronavirus. The benefits of being vaccinated outweigh the risks and any side effects need to be continuously balanced against the expected benefits in preventing illness. The vaccine has saved thousands of lives and played a critical role in controlling the virus. We continue to urge anyone invited to come forward for their vaccine. The mystery surrounding the disappearance of Madeleine McCann from a Portuguese holiday apartment has plagued her family and the world for 15 years now. Police on the continent believe German suspect Christian B is the man responsible. But bombshell revelations from a new documentary cast serious doubt over his involvement, potentially blowing apart the official police investigation. To discuss this tonight, I'm joined by the man who knows more about the criminal probe than any other journalist or investigator on the planet. Former police officer turned reporter and author Mark Williams Thomas is best known for posthumously exposing Jimmy Savile as a paedophile in a series of damning documentaries. Now he's out to unravel the mystery of the world's most famous missing persons case. Here's a look from the new show Madeleine McCann, The Case Against Christian B which is set to air on Channel 5 tomorrow night. We found a girl aged four to five and the mother, both of them posed in photographs. The child was not Madeline, but was a blonde girl. We've got someone saying that night they were with him. But why hasn't this come out? I can't quite believe what I've been told. That on the night of Madeline's disappearance, Christian B was with a woman outside of Pride Luz and spent the night with her. And if that's true, can't have been involved in the disappearance of Madeleine McCann. Mark Williams Thomas, I had the privilege of watching your brilliant investigation earlier today. It's certainly full of bombshells, but by the end of it, it doesn't feel like you're convinced that Christian B necessarily is Maddie's killer. Evening, Dan. No, I mean, the, the whole public, I think, have been fed a story from the prosecutor in Germany that Christian B is the man responsible. Two years ago, he made an announcement to say that he is their prime suspect. And as a result of that, slowly over the forthcoming months up until to date, he has released certain pieces of information. Crucially, his evidence is built around a significant telephone number, 680, which he believes Christian B was using on the night of Madden's disappearance, and goes further to say that he believes he used that outside the apartment. We've carefully examined that, and firstly, it cannot be placed right outside the apartment. It's up to a 32 kilometres distance. But more significantly, 
we have now shown that that telephone number that they believe Christian B was using on the night is actually belonging to somebody else. And they cannot place him on the night using that telephone number. So unfortunately, the evidence that's been put into public domain by the German prosecutor, and I'll give him some benefit, there may be a language barrier, is not true. What we do know is that Christian B is a despicable paedophile sexual abuser who was operating very close to Pride Luz at the time of Madeleine's disappearance. What you have discovered, though, is that some of the evidence about him, which includes claims that he confessed to the killing of Maddie and may even have had videos containing Maddie, you don't necessarily believe those witnesses are credible. Yeah, so we've looked at every single key piece of evidence the German prosecutors talked about and that we know about. And we've had the advantage of working very closely with Christian B's solicitor. And as a result of that, we've gained access to Christian B. He has spoken to me. I'm the only journalist in the world that he's communicated with. He actually was prepared for me to go into jail and talk to him and even give me an interview. That was stopped by the German authorities. So we've had to do it by letter. But he has corresponded with me. And ultimately, he has provided me with an alibi. We've checked that alibi out. And let's be very clear. When we started this investigation, when I was approached to make this program, we set out on the basis that Christian B was probably the offender because that is how the narrative was playing out in the world's media. It is only when we started to look at it that the evidence wasn't stacking up. And in fact, it was falling apart. We presented every single piece of our evidence to the German prosecutor. So he knows everything that we have. It's been been difficult watching him over the fourth, the recent days when he's actually said he isn't aware of all the evidence. He is. It's all been shared with him. Unfortunately, he has his narrative, and that is the narrative they're following. And they have, as very often senior investigating officers do, they've become tunnel vision to look for what they want to see rather than objectively look at all the evidence and say, does it all stack up? Let's, as you said, Dan, he is a vile man. He has got numerous convictions of offences against children and undoubtedly has committed more offences to which he'd been he hasn't yet been prosecuted for. But that doesn't make him the abductor of Madeleine McCann. And the problem is, is if you focus solely on him, the real abductor and killer has got free. And you still think that killer is probably out there? Absolutely. There's, there is not enough evidence. And the German prosecutor himself has said They've been investigating him publicly for two years and a year prior to that. So for three years, they've been investigating Christian B. There is only one person who says that he was using that telephone number 680, but not on the day in the weeks and months previous to that. Nobody else has come forward with all this worldwide publicity to say that he was using that telephone number. We've got evidence to show that he wasn't. And they're not in a position to charge him after three years. And it's, uh, it's a, you know, I, I think it's a terrible position to be in when you've got an individual who is a nasty individual in jail for another offence, who is being basically publicly tried for this. I mean, the German prosecutor has effectively tried him, prosecuted him and convicted him already. What should be happening is the German prosecutor say, well, we feel that, that, he, that he needs to answer questions in relation to that and let the court decide. But they're not in a position to do that because they don't have the evidence. And, and the problem is, that as I resolve in the programme, what it leaves you with is an individual who is still out there at large because I do not believe it's Christian B. The evidence does not stack up. Wow.
Mark, just finally, do you have any indication on how Kate and Jerry McCann potentially feel about your revelations? And do you think that this is good or bad news for them? Does it increase the hope that Maddie potentially still could be alive if it's not Christian B behind the disappearance? Well, Jerry and Kate are very supportive of the authorities. There is a uh, a difference between the way the authorities have treated this, Metropolitan Police still treat it as a missing person, the Germans are treating it as a murder, and as are the Portuguese, very much so because actually they need to do it for their statute of limitations. Uh, Jerry and Kate uh, will take their lead always from the authorities, and the authorities have said to her, look, we are confident we have the right person, and they put trust in that. Uh, I think our, we, well, they are aware of my programme, they're aware of the full contents of the programme, it will be difficult for them because they obviously hope that the person is caught. And when somebody comes out publicly in the national world media and says we've got the right person, of course, that is massive hope for Jerry and Kate. But unfortunately, they're no further forward now than before. So I think you know, the German prosecutor and the German prosecutors also have to be very aware that everything they, everything they say, Jerry and Kate live on every word. And I spoke to the prosecutors about this. I said, why did you not have lots of conversations with Jerry and Kate prior to going public about your information? Uh, and they felt that it wasn't appropriate to do that to such a degree. So they haven't really been in great communication with the with Jerry and Kate. So it's been uh, it's a shame that the German prosecutor has played this out in the world media rather than playing it out on the right stage, which is through the criminal justice system. Well, bombshell stuff. Thank you so much to Mark Williams Thomas, the man behind tomorrow night's brand new and sensational documentary on Madeleine McCann, airing on Channel 5. He says, Christian B, not Maddie's killer. Wow. a major moment of transition for the monarchy today as our beloved Queen was unable to attend the state opening of Parliament for the first time in 59 years due to what Buckingham Palace claimed was mobility issues. In a poignant ceremony, a clearly emotional Prince Charles stood in for his mother to read the Queen's speech to peers and MPs, flanked by the future Queen consort, the Duchess of Cornwall, and Prince William, who will one day himself become King. The last in-person audience carried out by the Queen was 13 days ago with the President of Switzerland at Windsor Castle. However, the 96-year-old monarchy was pictured hosting a virtual engagement last week with the High Commissioner for St Lucia. That was five days ago. So don't write Her Majesty off yet. But Jovo, some royal commentators are starting to suggest that today's ceremony marks the unofficial start of a Charles Regency. The Queen might have something to say about that though, right? I'll be jumping the gun a little bit, Dan. Um, the fact is the Queen has mobility issues. I, I understand her knees playing up and her ankles are playing up. She's uh, she's struggling a bit with mobility, yeah, but that doesn't mean she can't carry out the engagement, the jobs that she does. I, I, I must admit, I, I feel that we are putting too much on a 96-year-old woman. I really do. You know, you've got to have some humanity here. Yes, she's the queen, and she said she'd reign and, until she dies, but she's the longest-serving 
monarch. She's the oldest monarch we've ever had. You know, you got to remember the Queen Victoria was about 82 when she passed away. You know, you know this is the, what the realms we're dealing with. So I think that it's time, not necessarily for a regency, because that is totally within the gift uh, and the decision, really, of Her Majesty um, and, and, and Parliament, etc. But I do think that the Prince of Wales should just be expected to carry out the jobs of the Queen now. And so we don't have every time that she has to pull out of an engagement last minute, we get the world's media. And I know this because I work for, you know, Good Morning America. I work for Channel 7 Australia. That everyone, it's not just the UK media, but the world's media are saying, what's wrong with the Queen? Is she ill? Is she ill? Now, that's got to stop because it's not great for the constitutional monarchy, a system I believe in. And I think that the best way to do that is to say, look, Her Majesty's just, she might not be, she's not retiring. She's not abdicating. She's just putting her feet up. She's 96. And I think everyone would have been allowed to expect that to happen. Personally, I think you, for the constitutional monarchy, you need to clear that up. And perhaps a regency will be a solution. It's there for a reason. It's an act of parliament. It's there for a reason. Normalize this because, of course, the one thing that we all believe is that the Queen needs time and she needs time uh, to recover from whatever she's going through. I guess one of the reasons for concern, Jobbo, and obviously we have both dealt with Buckingham Palace over many years, is that they do have a track record of not always telling the truth. And maybe it's their right not to tell the truth about well, the Queen's health if she doesn't want us to know. But Jobbo, is there more going on here? Do we really believe this line about mobility issues or is there something Buckingham Palace isn't telling us? Look, I speak to a lot of people, not just people that are there as gatekeepers like the press office. I mean, they're pointless to speak to them most of the time because, of course, their job's not necessarily to give you what's tell you <laughs> what's going on. is to tell you what their message is. That's a different matter. Look, those pictures there, those two gentlemen representing the military, Her Majesty asked them to go towards her because she said, I can't move at that particular mm. meeting. So that's the truth. You know, that's coming out of a... The, uh, her mouth. My understanding is she's she's had a, it's it's been a very difficult uh, time since the death of the the Duke of Edinburgh. She's lost two great friends, uh, the Duchess of uh, two great friends, Duchess of Glastonbury. One, I think it's a tough time for a lady at ninety six. I just think we should show her mm. a little bit of respect. She's okay. never let. No, I understand. Her, why should we let her down and let her not rest? I completely agree with that. Prince Charles Jobbo, you're the journalist who knows him best. He looked sad today. He looked emotional. Is he coping? I mean, the Prince of Wales is the most prepared heir to the throne ever. He's a man of 73, a man of vision. And, and I think, in my opinion, a great man. And there is his is, is military uniform, because, of course, the role of, of, of King, you're the head of the armed forces as well. So, you know, the, the reality is, and Prince William was sitting alongside in his morning suit, which again is significant. My, my my feeling is yes, absolutely. But one must remember, he's only just lost his father. He's now now we've got all these wonderful people, with press, including ourselves, pontificating about the health of the Queen. That's his mother. You know, nobody wants their mother and father to die. No one. At some stage, he's obviously aware that the time is approaching. Whether it's in the next you know, a year, two years, I'm for one, say, God save the Queen, and let's hope she makes 100 at the least. But the truth is, it's at his least. mum and dad, yeah. and his mum and dad, and of course he's going to be emotional.
You, you, you talk about William, and it was quite significant he was there today, Jobbo, because he didn't need to be, did he? So is that about the monarchy trying to present their future to the public? I think so, but I mean, I don't think we, there's a lot made of it. People saying it was a joint engagement. No, it wasn't. The Prince of Wales was there representing the Queen. He was, it was in the Queen's place. Cam Camilla was, is the future Queen Consort. Like it or loathe it, that's what's going to happen. She's legally married to the King, and I did personally like it. So she's there supporting him. William was invited, I think, to give the sense of continuity of the crown. Whatever happens with the Prince of Wales, he's not going to be on the throne a long, long time. He's 73. Say he lives to 95, that's 22 years, by which time William would be 62. So you're talking about continuity, okay? And 22 years, little George, the little sweet boy we see wandering around in with his, you know, looking like he's got the weight of his world on him sometimes, well, you know, he does, he'll be 30. Poor and lad. he'll be the man that will have the longest no, reign out of all of them. All right. Robert Jobson, fascinating stuff. Britain's best royal journalist on what has been a seismic day for the royal family. Dan Wooden here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Wooden tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. <laughs>